Section two of the Crime of the French Cafe and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Crime of the French Cafe and Other Stories by Nicholas Carter. Chapter two Gaspar Spots His Man. A revolver lay on the carpet just where it would have been if it had been dropped from the woman's right hand. Its position suggested the possibility of suicide, and there was, at the first glance, nothing to contradict that theory, except the conduct of Corbett and the man who had registered as John Jones. It might be that the woman had committed suicide, and the men had fled for fear of being implicated in the affair. Nick examined this side of the case at once. The pistol had evidently been held only a few inches from the woman's head when it was fired. Her white flesh showed the marks of the powder. The bullet had passed straight through the head. The revolver carried a long thirty-two cartridge. Three of the five chambers were loaded. One of them contained an empty shell, on which the hammer rested. The fatal bullet had doubtless come from this chamber, for the shell had been recently discharged. In the fifth chamber was an old shell, which had apparently been carried under the hammer for safety, as is quite common. The woman had a purse containing about twenty dollars, but no cards or other things which might lead to identification. Her ears had been pierced for earrings, but she seemed not to have worn them recently. She had no watch. There was one plain gold ring on the third finger of her right hand, and there was a deep mark showing that she had worn another, but that ring was gone. How recently it had been removed was, of course, beyond discovery. There was no sign that it had been violently torn away. When Nick had proceeded thus far with his investigation, the messenger boy arrived. The detective sent messages to his assistants, Chick and Patsy. He then notified a coroner, who came about ten o'clock and took charge of the body. A minute examination failed to reveal any marks upon the clothing which might assist in establishing the woman's identity. Nick then left the restaurant, taking Gaspar with him. Inspector McLaughlin's men were by this time on hand, and they took charge of the house under Nick's direction. At seven o'clock in the morning, Nick received a message from Patsy, who had been directed to find the cabman in whose cab Corbett had fled. Patsy had located the cabman at his home on West 32nd Street. The man's name was Harrigan. Nick took Gaspar with him and went to the house where Harrigan boarded. "'I got on to him easy enough,' said Patsy, whom they found outside the house. "'I found the policeman who was on that beat last night and got him to give me a list of all the night hawks he'd seen around there up to eight o'clock of the evening. Then I began to chase up the fellows on that list.' The second man put me on to Harrigan. He remembered seeing him get the job, but couldn't tell what sort of a man hired him. I guess there's no doubt that he's the man, but I haven't questioned him yet. He's in there asleep. Nick passed himself off as a friend of Harrigan's, and was directed with Patsy to the man's room. They went in without being invited, after having tried in vain to get an answer to their pounding on his door. The cabman was snoring in a heavy slumber. "'From what I heard,' said Patsy, "'Harrigan had a very large skate on last night. 
He's sleeping it off. Nick shook the man unmercifully, and at last he sat up in bed. What the hell? said he, looking about him wildly. For use, and what's the row? As the quickest way to sober the man, Nick showed his shield. It acted like a cold shower bath. Say, what was it I done? gasped Harrigan. Tell me. I don't know nothing about it. I had a load on me last night, and I ain't responsible. Patsy laughed. There's no charge against you, said Nick. I only want to ask you a few questions. Harrigan sank back on the pillow with a gasp of relief. Give me that water pitcher, he said. Me throat's full of cobwebs. He drank about a quart of water, and then declared himself ready for a cross-examination. Nick sized him up for a decent sort of fellow, and saw no reason to doubt that he was telling the truth when he answered the questions that were put to him. It appeared that he had been on 7th Avenue, near the French restaurant, from a little after six to about half-past seven on the previous evening. At the latter hour, a man had engaged his cab. He had taken it to the side door of the restaurant, and the waiter had got in. The man who hired the cab was already inside. He had driven them somewhere on 57th Street, or it might be 58th. He couldn't remember exactly. The two men got out together. He didn't know what had become of them. His fare was paid all right. Then he had a couple more drinks, and the next thing he knew he was at the stable where he had hired the cab. Of course he didn't confess this in so many words, but Nick understood the facts well enough. That was absolutely all that Harrigan knew about the case. "'Would you recognize the man who hired your cab if you saw him again?' asked Nick. "'Oh, sure,' said Harrigan. "'I wasn't so very full. I had me wits about me. Say, you ain't going to do me dirt and get me license taken away?' I was all right. I didn't do any harm. Nick assured Harrigan that if he acted right in this case, his license would be saved, and then left the man to his slumbers. Not very promising, is it, my boy? said Nick to Patsy as they went downstairs. We've lost the trail as soon as we struck it. Do you think he's giving it to us straight? Yes, he doesn't know where he took them in, or what became of them after they left his cab. It's a pity he had such a jag. He'd have been the best witness in the case. Nick smiled. If he hadn't been drunk, he wouldn't have had anything to do with the case, he said. What do you mean? Why, it's clear enough. This man that we want saw Harrigan on that cab while the man was on his way to the restaurant with the woman. Then, when it became necessary to get Corbett out of the way, he remembered the drunken cabman and hired him. I don't see how you know that. A man would rather have a sober driver than a drunken one, wouldn't he? Yes. Well, the man who told you he saw Harrigan get the job was sober, wasn't he? Yes. Then why didn't the man take his cab? Because he wanted a drunken driver, who wouldn't be sharp enough to get on to any queer business. But he wouldn't have tried to find a drunken cabin just by luck and he wouldn't have taken a sober one. Therefore, he had seen Harrigan and hoped to find him in the same place. That's part of the plot. Now, then, you go to Chick, who is watching the body of the woman. I'm going to take Gaspar uptown 
and have a look at that part of the city where Harrigan left his passengers. Nick and Gaspar went to the 33rd Street Station of the 6th Avenue Elevated Road. They walked to the edge of the platform on the uptown end. Suddenly, Gaspar gave a violent start. He uttered an exclamation of surprise and pointed across the tracks. "'What is it?' cried Nick. "'The man who was in room B!' exclaimed Gaspar. "'I am sure of it.' At that instant, a downtown train rushed into the station, cutting off Nick's view. And a half-second later, an uptown train pulled in on their side. Nick pushed open a gate before the train had fairly stopped. He dragged Gaspar after him. The gateman tried to stop them, but Nick pushed the fellow in the car so violently that he sat down on the floor. Then the detective pulled the other gate open and, still dragging Gaspar, sprang down in the space between the tracks. The other train was just starting. Nick leaped up and opened one of the gates. Gaspar stood trembling. Excitement and terror rendered him incapable of action. Nick reached down and, seizing the man by the shoulders, lifted him up to the platform of the car as if he had been a child of ten. "'Look back!' cried the detective, pushing Gaspar to the other side of the car. "'Is your man still at the station?' Two or three men were there, having apparently just missed the train. It seemed possible that the criminal, if such he was, had seen Gaspar point and had been shrewd enough not to board the car. But Gaspar looked back and declared that his man was not there. Good, said Nick. He must be on the train. We have him sure. End of section two. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.